0: central texas it's the best of the outdoors podcast i'm your host dustin vaughn warnke author speaker outdoor writer videographer and podcaster and i'm so excited that you joined us today however you're listening to the show whether you are downloading it or streaming it on your computer or mobile device, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode because so far we've been pretty heavy into hunting and firearms and bow fishing and those kind of subjects. Today we're going to get into fishing, as I promised on the last podcast. I'm really excited about today's guest. His name is Daryl Palmer. He is the owner of Double D Extreme Tackle. Uh, which was founded in 2007 And um, his goal is to provide you with the world's strongest handcrafted big game fishing rigs And we have an awesome, awesome conversation on this podcast And you can look up Daryl on his website at double-d-extremetackle.com The way that Daryl spells his name is D-A-R-Y-L-P-A-L-M-E-R and you can find him on Facebook, you can find him on Yelp, you can find him on uh, through his website. The way that Daryl and I first met with each other was through an article that I wrote on growing your outdoor industry business. And if any of you listeners out there have an outdoor industry business, I have this article posted up on my website at dustinsprojects.com. And uh, it'll be under my reader's favorite articles. But uh, I promoted this pretty heavy on LinkedIn. Daryl contacted me and, uh, you know, asked kind of how we could work together. And I said, you know, let's record a podcast. So that's kind of how we connected. And uh, we've been talking ever since. It's been probably six months or so since I've, oh, probably longer than that, uh, that I've connected with Daryl and um, really enjoyed this podcast. I really think you will enjoy it as well. We talk about conservation. We talk about uh, the future of fishing. We talk about all kinds of different subjects, and I really think you'll like it. Here's my interview with Daryl Palmer.
1: Well, I've been I've been in the business for for this is my eighth year. Okay. I've had somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, uh, I would say conservatively twelve to fifteen thousand rigs go out wow. the door. And if you if you do the math on that with the uh, average of about uh, six to eight crimps on each on each rig. Um that's that's a butt ton of crimps. That's
0: a bunch of crimps. Oh so my gosh.
1: I tell folks I've got a little bit of experience at crimping. <laughs> but uh one thing that I've I can say is I've never had a rig come back and I've never had to field a complaint.
0: That's great. Great customer service there too. So,
1: when people call in, if you've called in and talked to me, you know I'll spend as much time as I need to. I'll answer every, any questions you have and uh I may talk your ear off, but you'll get some good information. Cause uh, bottom line is, uh, when you're successful, I'm successful. Exactly. That's what I that's what I build for. I build for conservation to make sure you get that big game fish in and get it released. And I build it so uh, build things strong, so you're successful in what you do. So, in in the in the case of a of a novice, you may have to up your game and up your gear, to uh, be able to use, you know, the, the the gear that I build.
0: Right. So, how did you get started in fishing?
1: Well, like I said, I started off when I was about four years old. My mom took me. My dad was aboard ship uh, in the navy, and she took me down to uh, Melville Pier in uh, Newport, Rhode Island, and uh, that's basically where I got. You know, I thank my mom for that. You know, she got that fishing spirit instilled in me, and it's it's never quit.
0: That's awesome. That's great. When did you start in the fishing industry, or how did you get started in the fishing industry?
1: Well, um, I've done a lot of different types of fishing, and uh, I don't like losing fish. You know, you go out there, you spend money on, on equipment, you spend money on uh, the venue or gas to get to the venue, and you want to, if you hook up, you want to try to get that fish in. And right. so after, you know, a bunch of times going to Texas City uh, at the pier at the end of the dike, uh, the Texas City dike, which uh, doesn't exist anymore after uh, Hurricane Ike, um, used to be a venue that my wife and I would uh, love to go to, and um, we would go down there uh and usually in the afternoon evening and during the summer because it's a lot cooler at night right and she loved the light she could sit out there and read and then that but um she would catch the bait fish and i would catch the big fish and i just got tired of going down there and losing fish not left and right but losing fish here and there i mean good fish gets frustrating it got real frustrating sure and so I would. I started. Uh, went over and got some, uh, you know, weed eater line, and I bought some some uh, cable online, and I started building my own. Right. And after you know a couple three months of doing that, my wife's like, you know, why don't you, you know, these are pretty decent rigs. Why don't you sell these on eBay? Why don't you see if you can sell them? I'm like, nah, nobody's gonna want to buy this stuff. It's weed eater line. It's rednecky. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, and and so. Um, after a while, um, she kept hammering on me and hammering on me. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll put a couple of them out on eBay. Within the first week, I sold like probably 10 or 15. Wow. And it was just like, holy cow, you know, uh, people bought them up and then they came back and wanted more. And so within three months or, or four months, uh, I'd started, uh, probably, a half dozen rigs, shark rigs and drum rigs. Uh, a lot of the other rigs I added on later on, but uh, that's basically what started. It, it was the basic uh, red drum and shark rigs, and and uh, then you know what? Um, it was about a year later when I got out there and actually broke one of my own rigs, and I was like, wow, and uh, I was like, okay, this is not going to happen again. Right. And so I came home. I don't know if it was a year later. It was probably about three months later. And uh, anyway, I come back home. And the next day, after we rested for a while, I went outside to my workbench. And I'm like, okay, how can I make this better? So I tinkered around with it. And I actually used a A-frame ladder. Uh, one of those little giant ladders. Right. And I made a basically a rig stretching apparatus over my trader to my 23-foot walk-around boat. Wow. And I would use the boat because I could stretch the rig slowly using the, I could hook it to the trader and hook it to the A-frame ladder. And then I could actually, you know, use the wheel winch or the wheel uh, jack. Right. And stretch the leader to the point of breakage. And so I did that. And redid it and redid it and redid it. And each time I would go back and say, okay, look at this thing under, under uh, high power magnifying glasses and taking pictures of it and blowing them up and seeing exactly what, you know, what went wrong and what broke. And um, basically weeded out the weak points of the rigs in All that right. way. And so when I got to a point, I think there's 175 pounds of tongue weight on this boat. So, when I got them to where um, I could hang the boat trader on a shark rig, I'm like, you know what, that's probably pretty good enough. And then, after that, I started upgrading the uh, actual parts, the swivels, the crimps, the hooks, and uh, I basically only go with mustad hooks. And the reason being is because they actually stretch their own metal. Right. They've got uh, equipment they've been using for a couple hundred, three hundred years. In Norway, that uh, they have the proprietary t- technology to do that, and other hook manufacturers have, are after them all the time to send them uh, metal to make their hooks out of. They're like, nah. <laughs> so, so that's why I use mustad hooks because they they it's not a forged hook. It's not a it's actually stretched. You know, it's not a it's not a uh, extruded or anything like that. And uh, that impressed me. That's good. So um, mostly mustad hooks, um, AFW uh, swivels, snap swivels, the uh, coast locks, and uh, crimps. And then uh, AFW monos and cables.
0: Great. And your main target is um, big game fish, or do you do
1: freshwater and saltwater rigs? I do some freshwater. Uh, there's... there's Uh, freshwater big game fish out there some guys use these uh, use the cable rigs for gar some of them use them for uh, actually alligator where it's legal to to you know catch alligator and uh, some of them uh, in fact uh, there's a guy up in Oregon that uses uh, one particular rig the um, the finesse shark rig for um, sturgeon the white sturgeon up there wow And I insist that if he uses the rigs, that he puts barbless hooks on them. Right. Because that's required by law. I won't won't send him, uh, I'll either grind the barbs off or I will, you know, send it with, uh, what is it, a 250-pound split ring where he can put his own hook on there. Right. But that's one thing that I'm I'm, uh, very adamant about is following the game laws and the fishing laws. And that um, early on um, in designing the, the links and the weights and everything of the, of the leaders and rigs that I build, I looked up all the specs for, a lot of the specs for the IGF, IGFA. Right. So everything that I build is IGFA compliant. Just in case somebody gets a massive fish and, you know, they bring it in on, you know, really light tackle or whatever. I want to make sure that the IGFA is, you know, satisfied in that aspect. Okay, and tell me what IGFA
0: is, because yeah. it's an
1: international game fish association. Okay,
0: very good. I figured it standard for something they, like that. They uh,
1: they have specific uh, rules on uh, how long a leader can be, how heavy—not really how heavy it can be, but how long—and uh, there's several different uh, criteria that it has to meet, and mine meet
0: all of it. So you started your own company, and that's Double D Extreme Tackle, and that's based
1: out of where? Um, based out of Kingwood, Texas. Um, the uh, The name Double D Extreme Tackle uh, actually came from uh, me and my wife. My my wife's name is Dawn. I'm Daryl. Oh, okay. And so that's where the Double D came from. Um, a lot of guys out there may think it means uh, something that you put in a bra, but, you know, <laughs> That's not where it came from, but, you know, hey, let them think what they like. <laughs> That's good. So
0: That's good. And what is the anatomy, I guess, to a good rig as far as it goes with, you know, what, what sets your rigs apart from a lot of the other ones, if, if you can answer that?
1: Well, uh, there's a lot of guys out there that build uh, either all mono or all cable rigs. Mm-hmm and one thing that uh, happens if you get a toothy critter on an all mono rig, um, one thing they can do is bite through it Uh, you can get uh, what they call uh, tail whipped or tail rash or you know rash on the rig itself to to the point where it actually fails and so uh, I got around that by using heavy mono and where it needs it, which is the upper part of the rig. And then for toothy critters and most of the, the rigs I build are all cable at the at the bottom of the rig. So you got about two thirds uh two thirds to three quarters of the rig being mono and the other quarter to a third being cable. So down around the fish's mouth or wherever where it's gonna get the most abrasion, it's cable. Right. And so and above that is all, all mono. One, because it's easier on the hands. Two, if you're using all cable on a, uh, say, a rig and you want to put weight on it, if you're casting it, over time you're going to develop a kink in that cable. Right. Because a lot of the, the rigs out there have got, uh, and you've probably seen them, they've got a, a, a uh, crimp sleeve about two thirds of the way down. Yes. Just crimped on the cable itself. And that's where your your swivel, your snap swivel, and your beads float above that mm-hmm. to put your weight on there. And once you kink cable, you lose a lot of its integrity.
0: Like how much you were telling me um, earlier when we were off air? How what percentage?
1: I would say somewhere between thirty to fifty percent. Okay, that's pretty the, substantial of of the integrity of the cable once you once you kink it. Mm-hmm. Because what you're actually doing is you're changing the for the part that's on the outside part of the kink, you're actually changing the molecular structure of the steel. You're actually stretching it, so it has different molecular structure now, and the inside is is, is uh, probably okay. But like I said, uh, it's when you if you've ever worked with steel, you know you have to anneal it or you temper it for strength. Right. And if you change that tempering, it's just like bending a piece of steel. You lose uh, strength. In that part where it bends. Mm -hmm. So it's got a much, much higher likelihood that it's going to break in that spot.
0: Okay. That's good. So in short, a rig is only as good as its weakest link. Is that correct in saying? That's it. Okay. That's
1: it in a nutshell. It's only as good as the weakest part of the rig. And in in doing the extensive testing that I've done on these rigs and the, the parts the rigs themselves and the, the combination of the, the crimp sleeves parts hooks um, I've I would say they're 100% uh, but I would say 95 98% strong wow
0: and there's a lot of R&D that kind of went into that wasn't there
1: There is there's a lot of of uh, like for one thing uh, the all the parts that I use on the rigs are all black because right. black doesn't reflect light and it does not attract game fish, like bright colors like uh, brass or nickel-plated parts will attract game fish. And they actually bite the rig versus biting the bait. And I want the attention on the bait. I don't want it anywhere else on the rig.
0: So your rigs are black for that reason. And that's also explained on his website. And I'll give his website at the end of the show and uh, in the show notes. Um you know that that made a lot of sense to me. I didn't realize that as much until you explained it to me. That um, the you know the amount of fish that go after after a shiny you know object in the water on your rig is pretty you know it's up there.
1: It can be. It depends on the clarity of the water, and uh, depends on what kind of game fish you're going after. If it's uh, if it's more of an offshore fish, yeah, it's the percentage is pretty high because okay. I mean you're going to use. Like for smacks, I mean, the guys use, uh, you know, the Johnson Spoons or Sprites. Mm-hmm. And uh, they use, uh, you know, smacks go after shiny objects. So do Jack Reval, so do the, the kingfish, okay. ling, stuff like that. They go after, you know, a lot of the baits that they, that they use for those fish are, are all shiny, right. metallic, You know, then they reflect a lot of light. So it, uh, that's what allures the fish in. And so that's not that's what I didn't want to happen with the parts on the rigs.
0: The the one thing that you have kinda of going for a good quality rig is that a fish you don't have to worry quite just about the teeth and everything. It is I was on a kingfishing trip one time where the kingfish was heading right into the jetty and um, you know, running into the rocks and stuff. So there's a lot of other abrasive things out there that can mess up a rig if it's not strong enough, would you say?
1: That's true. That's true. Not the least of which is the fish's skin, especially in the instance of a shark or something like oh, that. Oh, yes. Indeed. But if, uh, if a sh- like, uh, you know, AJs and, and redfish, and, and they're notorious for diving into cover once you hook them. Right. And, you know, if you catch stingrays, they're notorious for for dropping them down on the bottom once you hook them. Mm-hmm. And the sand is brutal against monos and, and stuff like that. And uh, the rocks are brutal against mono, you know, barnacles, stuff like that. Uh, so if you're using lighter, you know, lower profile monos, uh, say in the 30 to 50 or a hundred pound, you know, range, if you get a nick in it, you know, in a hundred pound mono, suddenly guess what? You got a uh, 50 pound mono right in that spot, or you got 30 pound mono. So, in using 200 and 300 pound monos, if it gets nicked, then you still have, you know, say 250, you know or or one fifty instead of you know cutting it in half, you're losing about fifty you know say a quarter of it you're
0: losing the life of that line kind of
1: right right yeah so um and like i said earlier the uh when you get the fish in say you're say you're shark fishing in the surf you know you get it on in on a shark rig uh my h d series rigs are twenty three feet long twenty two and twenty three feet long uh the twenty three being um 15 feet of mono and 6 or 8 feet of cable. And the cable is basically to keep the shark from uh, tail whipping the rig or its skin where the where the uh, cable rubs on its skin from abrading the, the mono. And the I didn't mono, think about that. The mono part of it, because a, lo- uh, a lot of people don't know this, that uh, sharks will, just like a crocodile, if you get them out there, they'll actually do a death roll and they'll roll up in the rig. Mm-hmm. And I did not know that they'll uh they'll break themselves off that way, and so then you have a fish with you know all this rig wrapped around them, and no way for them to get it off of them right and that's that adds to you know uh post catch mortality which mm-hmm. I'm you know i'm one one thing that I'm trying to work against is that because right. I don't want the the uh mortality rate I want you to be able to bring in a, a good sized game fish and be able to release that fish if you're not going to uh, harvest it
0: your big um you know thing that you talk about on your website is catch and release right
1: that is that's what i talk about i'm I'm big into catch and release i'm not saying that uh the you know the harvesting of uh, appropriate fish is is not a good thing it is because you've got to uh, maintain a healthy balance between your, you know, your species and your sizes of your species, right? To maintain a healthy population, you don't want an overabundance of, uh, you know, any one size of your species because that puts pressure on the rest of them, right? So, um, like, uh, one thing I hugely agree with is the uh, the taking of, of bull reds, you know, one or two per year per angler. Uh, when you First of all, when you take a bull red, the say over 30, was it uh was it 28 or 30 inches is the the uh I think it's 18 to 28 uh this year for slot the slot limit, uh, right? The slot limit. Slot limit so okay. anything over 28, you're out of uh you're into an older adult fish. Right. And you get up into 35, 40, 45 inch range um you're into an older, much older adult. you're into a senior citizen type situation with the <laughs> but uh never looked
0: uh, at fish as senior
1: citizens, but yeah, I get what you're saying. but the thing is they breed well into their into their senior years, and your your larger fish are your breeding stock and the if you deplete say you deplete uh eighty ninety percent of your uh redfish population say over thirty five inches. Uh, Mother Nature has a way of uh, getting around the fact that those larger fish are not there anymore. That uh, the younger fish will actually start maturing earlier, and your breeding stock now becomes the 30 to 35 inch range. Mm -hmm. But the the catch is that all their offspring will only have the genes to reach that 30 to 35 inch limit they won't have the genes to reach a 45 or 50, you know, 40, 45 inch.
0: I see. That's cool. Okay. It's just a,
1: it's the same thing when they, they uh, tried doing the the cloning of the sheep and they use what the sheep say. A sheep's got a lifespan. I, I'm not sure what it is, but just for argument's sake, 20 years. Right. And they use a 12-year-old sheep for, for cloning. The offspring are only going to live you know, eight years. Right. And then they're going to die away because that's the maximum lifespan of the sheep. This so, is, so, so, you know, let's say that the uh, four or 12 plus 8. Right. So.
0: That's good. And so overall, your, whole, um, your rigs are very conducive, very uh, applicable for catch and release, yes?
1: They are. They are. In fact, basically the reason that I started the company was to make sure that, when you do get that fish of a lifetime, you get that huge game fish, you have the tools to get that fish into the beach or into the boat and release that fish. And that's my mission. Basically the mission of the company is okay. that is what that's I was trying good. to say. That's good. So the mission of the company is to to get that big game fish in to where it's released, you know, or harvested or whatever. Whatever you gonna do with it. And, but that has landed, which right, is the that main landed point and of fishing, right? Yeah, because <laughs> the, the the thing you don't want is is to have a fish out there with uh you know even ten feet or 15, 20 feet, or hundred feet of, of line and cable, right. And rig hanging off this fish, and you're you're basically dooming the fish anyway. It's a liability, yeah, exactly. So your 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 post catch mortality rate just increases exponentially.
0: What um, what advice would you have for beginning anglers and just trying you know big game fishing, freshwater, saltwater, inshore, you know anything like that? What would you say?
1: Do some research. Mm-hmm. Um, the most uh, as, as with anything that you get into, become a student of the of the whatever you're doing. Um, do the homework, but there's there's you can read books all day long, but there's no. Um, substitute for uh, having your toes in the sand. Yes you know there's no, there's no substitute for practical experience. You've got to get that practical experience and and you've got to stub your toe a few times. you can you know listen to folks and, and say try this and try this because certain things work for some people and certain things work for other folks right but you've got to figure out what works for you and go with that. It's a very
0: conditional environment with fishing because you may be in a different situation every time. That's you go right, out, right.
1: That's right. A lot of guys uh, um, will call in and say, "Hey, I'm going here. I'm going to do this type of fishing, and um, that's uh, something that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm real proud of." And I'll, I'll uh, walk them through, you know what what it is. Ask them what they have as far as rod, reel, line. And walk them through what the best practices are for uh, doing whatever type of fishing that they're doing, and have you know being able to help them set up the reel, having them set up the, the drag, having them set up the you know the, the line, uh, mono braid you know whatever they're going to use right, and then how to use the rigs, um, actually how to handle. Uh, what kind of baits to use, what size baits to use. Oh, that's good. And then, you know, how to actually, when they get a shark in, how to handle it. Because a lot of people don't know. And it's, it's, uh, that's when you get uh, accidents happening because, you know, you're, you're going out there uh, basically half-cocked, so to speak. Right. And you're getting into a situation that you've never had the experience with before, and you have no idea what to do at that point. So. and that's where accidents happen so you know one of the things that uh that you know when you go out fishing you want it to be an enjoyable experience for for everyone involved you know you know mom dad the kids you know brother uncle dad whatever right and so you uh you have to have uh uh some knowledge before you go out to to go ahead and, and bring in you know different types of fish it's like uh I ran into a guy the other night. Uh, I was fishing with. He was in a pair of uh, sandals and a pair of flip flops, and yeah. he caught a little baby gaff top. And he was trying to kick the gaff top off oh, into the no, pier. Oh no, not with the sandals! And on. I was like, "Oh man!" I was like, uh,
0: <laughs> "Danger!"
1: Yeah, I'm like, uh, "Red flags, red flags!" That uh, he was. Uh, I said, "Bro," I said, uh, "You do not want to do that." He's like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah." I said, "Do you ever seen the fin on one of these things? It's the tri fins on the." Oh, yeah. On the gaff top Massive. or the, the hard head, the notorious hard head. And if you've ever had one in your hand or your foot, you know exactly what I'm talking about because it stings like crazy. Right. And it swells up, you know, your toes swell up the size of a, of a uh, tennis ball. And and uh, it's not fun at all. Uh, one tip I would have for you out there is uh, don't ever kick a hard head. Two, uh, don't ever try to step on one. Three, if you do get a uh, barb in your hand or your foot or wherever use the slime i know it sounds nasty but take the slime off the hardhead Mm -hmm. and rub that into the wound
0: i've heard that before that
1: is the only thing out there that's really effective on uh neutralizing the toxins that come off those off the fins right now the other thing that they don't realize is that hardhead fins and and the catfish fins are serrated on one side they're not sorry they're they're barbed
0: i noticed that
1: they're barbed on one side but only on one side right so you can actually push them in push them to the to the side that they're not barbed and and slide them out but stingrays on the other hand they're barbed on both sides so if you get hung with a stingray uh you either have to cut it off and leave it in there until you can get it surgically removed or uh you're going to be ripping flesh on the way out yeah there's no easy there's way no to do that. Yeah, yeah there's no easy or, or either that or just push it all the way through right right and it's i mean it sounds
0: oh it's gross just, but it's a reality sometimes if you're on a boat and that
1: that's the nature of the you, beast yeah, so to speak beach, but yeah. uh but yeah uh one thing you do want to have uh when you're out fishing is some hand sanitizer in case you do get finned or something with a small fish because uh you know you don't know what's in the salt water there's toxins out there that you don't know about you get it on your hands you get it into a cut uh you can get infected real quick right um a little bit of safety i always say you know um an ounce of prevention is worth a, a you know a pound of cure yes and so a couple little tips for for you know folks going out fishing the rest of them they're not too bad um Sharks, you, you know, by basically want to stay away from the business end of them.
2: Yes, the mouth. You right. know,
1: um, something that a lot of folks don't know is that if you take, a, say, a less than a four-foot shark, if you can grab it around the head and grab around the tail at the base of the tail and you flip them upside down within a, uh, two or three seconds, it will paralyze them. Okay. But uh, That no, I
0: did not know. <laughs> now,
1: they may thrash around, you know, for those two or three, four seconds. Right. But if you can hang on to them, it'll paralyze them. But don't ever, don't ever do that with the fish in, you know, unless it's inverted, unless it's upside down, right? Because they will, they will, uh, uh, they can turn on a dime, and they oh, yeah. can, they got teeth, and you but you would never think that you would get bit, but you will.
0: Not just teeth, rows of teeth.
1: Yeah, rows <laughs> of teeth. But um, yeah, I've I've seen. I know we've all seen the video of the guy out there that's holding the shark and. It, uh, he's got the head point out in front of him and he reaches around and the shark uh, does a 90 return to the left and nails him in the shoulder.
0: Shark decides to reach around as well, right? yep, yep, <laughs> yep, 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 oh yep, yep. Uh,
1: but yeah, uh, anything over four feet I wouldn't recommend doing that with.
0: Just uh, cut the line or what, what do you No, recommend? you don't
1: cut the line. You take and you... Uh, the one thing you don't want to do is cut the line. Okay. That's one of the, the big things that, that uh, I'm very largely against is, is bringing a, and just leaving the rig on there and you cut the line. Now, if you want to cut the cable down by the hook, that's a different story. Right. You've got a fish that that's you know, like, say a, say a 10 foot, 12 foot hammer and, or, you know, a, a 10 or 12 foot uh, tiger or whatever. And it's just too dangerous to try and get the hook out. Right. Which a lot of times it is. You want to um, take and cut the cable or, you know, whatever it is that you got attached to the hook, as close to the hook as possible, safely. Right. But sharks that big, um, typically you want to uh, straddle in front of the dorsal fin. You want to put them on the beach, um, just at the water's edge, where the water can still kind of get over their gills. Put them at the water's edge, straddle them. But once you straddle them, stay away from the tail. Right. Because that tail, on, on, on on a six, seven foot, eight foot shark, the tail whip comes around, it can break an ankle. Mm. They're incredibly strong. incredibly strong fish um my brother was out fishing with me the other night uh and his little boy, and they caught a uh a little scalloped hammerhead it's probably about fourteen inches long
0: oh, how cute
1: and uh yeah, it was cute he had, <laughs> had nice little teeth they were real cute teeth,
0: I bet they were, but
1: um uh, he was sitting there holding this thing, and my brother's not a small dude right, and uh he's six six three and he probably goes about uh, 260, 280. Used to be a football player. Used to be, uh, used to work in the uh, out in the field. And uh, he's a big dude, and he couldn't hold this little tiny shark from wiggling back and forth. Oh boy! Of course, he didn't turn it upside down until I showed him that. But he couldn't keep this little guy from from twitching back and forth in his hand. That's how strong these little guys are. Wow! And you get them up six, eight, ten feet. And like I said, that tail whips around; it can break an ankle. Wow! So straddle them, in front of the dorsal fin. Um, get your buddy in front of them uh, to. I guess you can get use an de hooker is one of the best things on the market to uh, get down to the hook and try to try to jar that hook out. Um, Which is kind of
0: a metal device that goes into the mouth, right? Right. It's okay. a metal.
1: It's a metal device with a with a. Uh, it's it's ringed at the end okay where you can put it on the line and then follow it down oh the i see I and it's see. got a t at the other end and for your bigger game fish you you've got one that's probably i think 40 inches long which is plenty plenty long enough and you take and pull the line one way put this thing down on the hook where you can get the hook down in the, in the middle of the of the bend of the hook and right. pull it the other way and you can pop that hook out but oh, if you can't if you can't do that then, then cutting the cable is is one thing you want to you know be really really careful about doing yes because uh, even though you're sitting on that shark he can still move oh yeah you know but uh, once you get that uh, done if you have a uh, tagging kit go ahead and tag your shark uh, by the dorsal fin and then uh, take your pictures as, as quickly as possible uh, don't sit there and, and wait on the beach while somebody runs to the truck to get the camera not a good idea yeah as long, The longer you keep these sharks out of the water, the higher the mortality rate can be. I see. You want to get that shark unhooked. You brought in unhooked, uh, tagged, photographed, and you want to get that shark back out in the water right. ASAP. As, quickly, as quickly as possible. Right. But um, now, um, the one thing, uh, a lot of people like to eat shark. Sharks are real good eating. But I'll tell you this, if you're keeping anything over five or six feet, Um, I wouldn't bother because after that, they're going to be a tougher, the meat's going to be tougher, Right. it's going to be strong tasting, and it's not going to be worth your time to take it home and prepare. Right. So, So, over um, what,
0: five to six feet, you said?
1: Anything over five, six foot, uh, let it go. Let it go. Yeah, let it go. It's a trophy fish kind of anyway. If, you know, if you're not going to keep it, then there's no reason to kill the shark. Right. Because he's going to head back out to deep water anyway. So, um. But uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna keep them for table fare, the thing you do have to do is you have to bleed the shark out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've heard that before. If you don't, the meat is gonna taste nasty. And uh, so, for anything that you're gonna keep, you know, like I said, sharks um, take cut the tail off, bleed them out, uh, leave them in the water until they bleed out. You're gonna have more sharks come in, which is right. you know, if you're out shark fishing, it's a good thing, but. If you don't want that, just throw it in the cooler. It'll bleed out anyway. And then uh, once it's bled out, then put it on ice.
0: Okay. Um, One reason, one, to go back for a second. When we talk about hardheads and gaff top, um, those are both saltwater catfish here off of the Gulf of Mexico in Texas, right? Correct. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. You know, our listeners from Florida or you know the East Coast or West Coast knew the difference of of uh, those are little bait snatchers. The hardheads are at least, and they're not very good to eat. Gaff top.
1: You like eating gaff top? I've eaten gaff top uh, years ago. A lot of people like gaff top. Uh, I do hardheads. Uh, they're like uh, it's like a salt, almost like a saltwater blue cat.
0: Yeah,
1: and they're uh, hard to clean. They're, they're hard, really they're hard, hard to clean. Eh, you got to have a sharp knife and a pair of pliers. And in yeah, you shape. do. But. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, no, I mean, uh, typically what you do with the gaff top, you don't fillet them out. You just cook them, uh, take and head them, skin them, and then you cook them whole. Okay. You know, it's probably the easiest way to do that. I've always filleted
0: mine, so. But, um, you know, (laughs) that's.
1: Well, they have, uh, the gaff top will have, uh, you know, the the larger rib bones. Yes. And they don't have any lateral bones in them. So you don't have to worry about anything but the rib bones, which is nice. But a lot of times the rib bones are a pain to cut cut through right. when you get into your larger fish exactly um as far as hardheads go um we basically down here on the coast we call them tourist trout
0: <laughs> tourist trout i love it so <laughs> that's good oh, you'll but, always catch them i mean there's always something easy to catch because hardheads well, will bite on just about anything
1: not necessarily i mean you, you've Put it this way. If you're starting to catch hardheads, you might as well give it up because that's all you're going to catch. Okay, okay. Yeah. If, if hardheads are biting, that's usually the only thing that is biting is hardheads.
0: I've just found it every time I go out fishing on, you know, surf fishing or bank fishing or whatever on the on the coast, that's what I end up with is hardheads. They're fun to catch, but they're not fun to get off the hook. <laughs>
1: well, um, one thing you can do is um, use a, uh, a pair of pliers. If you're, if you're fishing a pier, you take the pair of pliers and you get the hook down by where the where the where the bottom of the J is if you yes. catch that right there you basically uh, take and tap them on the on the on the pier oh, top okay. and it, it comes right off okay I, I try uh 100% i try not to even touch those things right i don't like the slime the slime's on slime's bad yeah, yeah i don't I, I try not to touch them at all uh one thing you can do is um if you take a uh, uh, one of the heavier coat hangers, if you can find one anymore, and you make a little a little J at the tip, about a half inch J, and then you take the other hand and, and fold it up into a handle and wrap it back around the main main uh, shank of the of the coat hanger, you can use that, and you basically run it up under the the hook, you put that little J part in the hook, right, and then you uh, take and flip the flip it you know, <laughs> away from you. And that hard head will come right off. <laughs>
0: That's a great little trick. I Then you have never that. have to touch them. Next time I go to the coast, I'm going to definitely have to try that. And the reason earlier in, in our show we were talking about, you know, do you cut the the, the, the the line if you've got a fish that's a toothy shark or, you know, whatever the case may be that's a shark, if you have to cut the line, um, you know, because of all the teeth and all that other stuff. I just see it happen in a lot of a lot of TV shows. You know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and uh, you know, I personally, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to dog what somebody else does right. for, for a living or anything like that. But you know what? Personally, I don't think it's a best practice. OK, that's good. I don't I don't like seeing that happen. And um, like I said, uh, it's not it's not like it's an illegal thing to do. But to me, it's it's sort of an unethical, unethical thing to okay. do. Okay, I'm with you. And uh, it's like uh, it's like uh, like you, you're a hunter. It's like taking that shot through the brush. Right. That you have a, you know. You want this buck so bad, and he's got right. such a great looking, you know, set of set of, you know, spread on him, and he's like, oh, I just want him so bad. I get him through this brush, and you don't know if you can make the shot, and you yeah. do it anyway. And guess what? You wing him. You've got
0: a liability then. You've That's got a right. Wounded animal. You've got a wounded fish if you're cutting the line. Yeah.
1: It's not. A, it's not an ethical thing to exactly. do. Exactly. Yeah, I understand yeah. that completely. One thing that. Um, That I I wanted to, before we uh, finish with this uh, podcast, is that I wanted to go through the rigs and kind of explain. uh, I kind of explained the hardware part of the rigs, but uh, one thing I did want to touch on is the way that uh, one, the material is cut. I don't crush the mono when I cut it, I actually slice it, which uh, protects the integrity of the mono itself. Uh, I also. uh, do not leave. If you'll notice on the ends of the rigs where the crimps are, there's no tag ends left sticking out, uh, especially on the cables, for them to get hung on your hands. That is more of the probably the most painful things to happen is if you're yes. fighting a big game fish, you're bringing it in and then that he flips his head and then jams that cable right into your hand. Ouch! I've been there before, and you know that's not fun. That's not fun. That does not feel good. So that that won't ever happen with the with the gear that I build is because I don't leave the huge tag end sticking out. In fact, I don't leave hardly any tag end sticking out. Maybe a 16th at most. Okay. So, um, the other thing is the the crimping method I use is something that I've developed. It's a proprietary method, and it uh, renders the crimp uh, 100% effective. It crimps 100% of the material, um, and for the smaller rigs that I build, like the Red Rigs, Drum Rigs, uh, Finesse Shark... Um, it renders the 90 pound cable that I'm crimping on. It's a nylon coated cable, which a lot of guys don't like because, uh, it, they say it does come out. This doesn't, um, on a a 90 pound cable, I can hang 75 pounds of dead weight. In fact, I can, I can straighten out an eight on J hook.
0: Wow. That takes a little bit of,
1: with, without doing anything to the integrity of the cable or the crimp.
0: Takes a little work there to straighten out one of those. <laughs> so,
1: um, in fact, uh, for those who are, you know, no must-add hooks, uh 39960D, which is now a DT, it's a Duratin, um I've actually straightened those out uh, using weight. And the leaders that I've, I've built the, with those hooks on it, the 275 cable 300-pound mono rigs, uh, crimps didn't budge.
0: Wow! That's so the hooks
1: will actually straighten out before the before uh, the crimps budge. Before the crimps budge.
0: Wow! That is a solid rig, sir. That is a really solid rig. So that's really good. Um, what else would you like to add about your rigs or your company or anything like that?
1: Um, basically, uh, like I said, uh, I'm into conservation. I'm a I'm a U.S. Naval veteran third generation navy thank you for your service and uh one thing i try to do is when i do get uh orders from uh from vets or from people that i know that are are uh, uh vets or active service members i try to treat them you know which is much uh uh respect and 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 uh you know try to give them a little bit of extra there sure
0: well, that's great so,
1: that's really great like I'll ship it to them faster, or I will, you know, take take a little bit off the price of the rigs, or give them, send them a couple of things extra, just as a as a thank you. Very
0: good. And I asked this question of um, I asked this question back to Bill Henson in our second podcast. Um, this is kind of my deep question. Can you answer a deep question? Is that okay? Yeah, we'll go. What legacy should outdoorsmen leave behind with the youth or new outdoorsmen?
1: Whatever you do in the outdoors is going to have an effect on whatever you know, whatever wherever you're at. One of the things that uh that I try to say is if uh, and you'll see it right on my website, um, you know, you wouldn't want somebody to come to your house and trash your house and just leave. So the ocean and the beaches, that's their house. Right. Don't trash it. If you're gonna take out stuff out there, Bring it home, clean up the beach, leave it cleaner than you found it. Um, right. it's, that's everybody's responsibility. You know, I'm not saying go down and clean up ten miles of beach. No, but if you clean, you know, a uh, hundred yards up and back, you know, up and down the beach from where you're sitting, and just pick up the trash. Guess what? That's a hundred yards, three hundred yards of beach. It's not going to have any garbage on it. Right. So. Um, And like I said, uh, everything that you do out in the, when you're fishing has an effect on, you know, other things, a lot more things than you can possibly know.
0: It's a ripple effect, kind of. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. uh,
1: Same thing in hunting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one thing I try to teach young hunters and fishermen is just to, you know, take care of Mother Nature and everything we've been very blessed with by God's glory to get all of these cool things, you know, to do in the outdoors. You know, the beauty of it all is overwhelming sometimes, you know. It's just not to take it for granted. And, um, you know, as far as passing down from one generation to another generation, what what would you say there? Because I know conservation is important to you, and I also know catch and release and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of where I was going with that.
1: Right. Well, I'm like like you said, I'm huge into conservation. Sure. I'm into catch and release. Um, I'm not going to say 100% catch and release, but you teach teach the younger uh, generation to respect the fish. You respect the ocean. You respect the beach. Um, You respect other people's things. You know, as long as you teach them respect for uh, their world around them, then that's probably the greatest gift that you can possibly give them. Because there's so many that that don't respect anything nowadays. Right. And uh, you teach them that... uh, if if it's not respected, it can and it will go away. Yes. You yes, know? indeed. So that's uh, true. It's been proven, you know, many many times with many many different species that are now extinct, you know, and and uh, many ecosystems that are now defunct because people didn't respect it.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. So it comes down to that basic focal point of respect and ethical, you know, action and uh, you know taking care of of uh of what you've been given, you know, the chance to use and uh resource that you've been using.
1: Well if the if the person that, that taught you how to fish and to talk you know, taught you how to cast and this, that and the other is worth their salt, then they taught you uh the rights and the wrongs. You know, most people know right from wrong but they don't know necessarily know, you know, etiquette for this or etiquette right. for that. Right. But you know basically how you would want to be treated or how you would want your property treated or your area treated so treat it the same way right the golden rule that's right do to others right.
0: yeah that's good but that's uh, really good
1: is there anything else that you'd like to add basically respect respect the environment and the young anglers um they are our future yeah they're the they're the future of of and once you take a kid fishing, you instill that that drive to improve and drive to to you know get to that next step. Yes. Um, then that's that's what uh, drives all of us because that's what that's what we were taught when we were we were kids. You know, and, and uh, the one thing I I know what it was. The one thing that I uh, that you can't you can you really can't teach it. It's something that comes within you. And it's, it's called integrity. Yes. And it's uh, you develop it from, from uh, a, a young age, and you either completely lose it or you maintain it. Right. And it, what integrity is is um, being ethical, which is doing the right thing even when nobody's watching. Exactly. When you're out there in the woods alone, and you want to take that shot, and you and you think, okay, yeah, I can get it, and it takes you two days to track that animal because, and you never find it because yeah. you took the shot and it winged him, you know, in his hind quarter or whatever, and now he's out there, you know, with a with a limp the rest of his life. You know, that's what I'm calling uh, as an unethical shot. Right. You take that shot, you make it ethical. You say, yeah, I'm going to get this shot, and you boom, you make the shot. Um, it doesn't come without practice, but um, and integrity uh, is going out hunting a hundred times and not taking that unethical shot a hundred times. That's or, what in, that's yeah. what integrity is. Is 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 ethics over time? Or and that's,
0: the same can be applied for fishing too. The same can be applied for fishing.
1: Right. Is is uh, bringing that fish in, knowing you're not going to. Uh, Filet it up or, or bring it home for table fare, and releasing that fish. Right. Um, going out there, um, if somebody, if you see somebody uh, taking a bunch of illegal fish, all it's doing is hurting the ecosystem. Yes. All it's doing is is making fishing tougher for you and tougher for your kids. You know, because they're interrupting the balance that is created when you know they try to maintain a balance you know, in different species and different sizes. And sometimes they do a good job at it, uh, in, in the case of the Reds, I and mean, sometimes they do a bad job at it, you know, at it in case of uh, you know, some of the red snapper. But, you know, um whether it's good, bad, or ugly, it's the law and it's uh, that's where ethics comes in again and where integrity comes in. Yes. Because if you're known to be an ethical fisherman people will respect you if you're known to be underhanded and not uh respect the law people are going to know that too right and they're not going to want to fish with you and i'm not saying that the, you know i'm not going to sit here and preach and go okay everybody should follow it but they should right you know it's it's just it's one of those things it's just as easy to do it the right way as it is to do it the wrong yeah. way and you get back what you give that's right you
0: know i've i'm very much a um uh, you definitely believer in, believe in karma right as far as karmic action goes because you know your um your actions you know do have an effect you know good bad or indifferent. so
1: that's right absolutely it's harder it's kind of i used hunting earlier as an example because it's it's harder to use uh to understand a fishing example because you know once you unhook the fish or you cut the line you never see the fish again but you don't see what happens on the back end right you know on hunting in hunting you may see that that deer or that animal a year later and it's got uh it's got a limp because of that you know shot that you almost could have made right you know it was exactly. a, it was a, a a more it was a better and i say a better example but it was something that uh, could be more understandable right Right. So but it happens both ways. It happens fishing. Yeah. I mean it happens in, in uh you know in snorkeling, it happens in 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 uh you know, whenever you're dealing with um uh, any type of wildlife, you know, you go out camping, you don't want to leave a bunch of trash out there, you don't want uh the, the deer eating, you know, a bunch of plastic or whatever. You don't want the you know one of the uh one thing, uh, other thing about uh, is the uh, mono, mono, monofilament fishing line um, is probably one of the biggest uh, killers of marine life in the world. Yes, it's the biggest, has probably the, the highest mot- mortality rate as far as marine wildlife than any other thing that man has ever invented. And one thing that you can do to uh, make sure that that doesn't happen, is don't throw your line overboard. Um, If you go on the website, uh, look at the DIY strip and cut, read it. It's a real quick read. It shows you how to build a a stripping device for your reels. If you're using larger reels, small reels, it doesn't matter. And it uh, takes you through uh, using a spool, cutting a little pie slice in it, put a bolt through it, mount it on your cordless drill, And depending on the size of the spool, you could strip a a six-aught reel within a couple of minutes or less. This is pretty cool. I'm looking at it right now. What you do is once you get it on the spool, you take your cutters and you cut the line through the pie shape. Um, It shows you, it's got illustrations on the the web, but it takes uh, 500 yards worth of line that was once one piece and makes it 500 little strands. Which are... Less than a foot long, and it's impossible to get for Tangled anything up. to get entangled yeah, it's, in it. It's, right,
0: renders it harmless. Harmless. It renders it harmless. harmless. Say, it
1: renders yeah. it harmless. You know, yeah. it'll still be out there in the wild, but it uh, it you won't be able to entangle anything in right. It. it. Right, right. Uh, one of the one of the things that it, that prompted me to actually build this was uh, I was doing some um, research on on uh, just different uh, conservation sites and, and trying to to market to. Uh, the uh the conservation side of what i do and uh i noticed one thing that uh, a lot of the conservation sites out there i'm not gonna you know mention any names or anything but uh they're more it seems like uh in talking to them that some of them are more interested in, in your donations yes. than actually doing any good toward the environment that's true and which which is really disheartening and and uh, but, uh Anyway, uh, that prompted me to build this uh, when I was looking at this site from uh, uh, Washington State. And one of the things that they had on their website was uh, a picture of a bald eagle that had gotten uh, mono around its neck and it it had strangled it. And it was in a landfill. Wow. And to think that, uh, you know, our, our nation's, one of our nation's bird to come to that end was just just for me it was tragic sure so no i understand that. anyway cut your mono yep cut your mono and your website is
0: full of a lot of really good ideas of um diy um and you know just there's tons of good information on there and i know you spent a lot of a lot of time you know building that
1: right Uh, there's a there's some yeah there's uh, surf rod and reel info, shark rod and reel info. It kind of goes through different types of reels, drags, lines, monos, um, braids, fluorocarbon, uh, your DIY strip and cut. Um, and then uh, one thing that I would ask you to read is go read Why Catch and Release. Uh, that says in a nutshell what I was trying to talk about earlier uh, as far as uh, why it's a good idea to catch and release. Now I'm not saying I'm I'm... It's it should be practiced a hundred percent of the time. Um, there's a time to you know, to keep, you know, good fish. Right. You know, you catch a twenty four, twenty six inch red, they're incredible eating. You know, I don't have any problem with uh with harvesting, you know fish that are are, are uh of an age and of size that are, are are uh gonna make really good table fare. Uh but to to uh needlessly kill and it's the same thing with hunting. Um Uh, I guess it would be the difference between hunting for sport and hunting for meat. Right. To you know provide, you know, whoever. So that's fishing
0: for sport versus fishing for meat. Okay. I'm with you. That's good. So when you go out and you catch a
1: you know you catch a fifteen hundred pound marlin and you you know you can take pictures of it in the water, let it go, you know, um even even the taxidermists nowadays you don't even have to have a fish no. in order for them to make an, a beautiful lifelike mount for you
0: what do they call it replica or uh, yeah, fiberglass yes yeah, it's, it's
1: a fiberglass replica all you need is a picture of the fish you need the uh, the length and the girth mm-hmm. and they can build you a really really nice uh very true to life replica of your fish and right. you don't have to you don't have to kill the fish anymore which is which is awesome
0: love that technology
1: wow that was a fun podcast
0: i really enjoyed sitting down with daryl and having a conversation with him we just seem to mesh together when it comes to the uh, you know meeting of the minds and uh very like-minded in a lot of different ways and it's just awesome daryl is so passionate about conservation and about catch and release with big game fish and uh, you know keeping certain fish for uh table fair and um, he's just a really great guy again as i said at the beginning of the show you can look up daryl on facebook you can look him up on yelp and you can also check out his website at double dash d dash extreme tackle.com connect with him call him ask him questions uh, he just has a ton of different resources for you to help you be successful on the water with big game fish or even smaller inshore fish. You know, whatever you are into fishing, you can probably find a rig that Daryl makes. I think you'll really like it. My goal on this show is to bring you the best of the outdoors, you know, and that's includes you know good companies with good services and good products that will help you excel and exceed in the outdoors and that's my whole goal for you know what i do in the show so i hope you see that i hope you um will go give daryl a try if you're into fishing and would like to try some big game rigs i think you'll really enjoy what he has to offer everything that i've seen of his is just awesome so definitely check out my website at dustinsprojects.com. I have a blog there. I have links to articles that I've written. I have, you know, the links to the podcast episodes here and, um, a bunch of other content that I do with the Mac and Prowler TV show and, um, all the other different things that we're involved in. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for reading and have an awesome day in the outdoors.